Inviting me into this, you'll watch your time. This stillness, Father. That you come and you share with me. Thank you, Father. These words that I share are not just heard, but messages listened to. And they, they that have an ear, that they go to the scriptures, go to your truth, your knowledge and your wisdom that you give to me, but they go and they seek your face, Father. They seek your face and your truth. Looking for your knowledge and your wisdom and your words that you give us to the Father. You've told us that you would share it with us gladly. You take joy in our searching. Thank you, Father God. For this opportunity, have a Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parklitos Aman. So, Holy Spirit and I having some conversation this morning. Thoughts that I had running through my head, and what I'd like to share with you is um, something I've mentioned before. I don't think I really went into any depth with y'all, but I'm going to share it with you this morning and go a little more into it, and I'm going to share some other things with you. Now, we have, when I was in the Marine Corps, and some of you may know this and have heard it before, there's a motto or a saying that the Marines have Semper Fideles which is Latin and it means always faithful and if anyone has been around Marines, Jarheads, Leathernecks all the above um, you've heard them maybe say one to another and usually it's said one to another as a reminder or Marine Corps veterans will say one to another, simplify. Just a shortened version of Semper Fidelis. Simplify, always faithful. Meaning that choice given, they will not leave anyone behind. And I share that with you because there is a phrase that I have shared with you. I know I've shared before. And it also is Latin. Regula pidei. And it means rule of faith. And what that indicates is, again, as I've shared before, that you read from the front cover of the Bible to the back cover of the Bible, from the back cover to the front cover, that all scripture that God has authored is interwoven, intertwined, stitched together, as you will. And it is indeed that way. You simply open the cover and begin to read and you go through the Bible, you will find that that's true. I like that my the my father's Bible is a um, 
It's called the Thompson Chain Reference. Not in particular uh, any kind, of, but for me, a Bible's Bible. But I like this one because my father really liked it. His that he carried from a young man was absolutely falling apart. So this Bible my mother gifted to my earthly father. I remember when she bought it for him. And um, I might get a little teary here as I'm sharing about this because it's a wonderful word because it's a, uh, it's called a chain reference Bible. And what's really great is that as you go through the scriptures, it gives you references to other scriptures as you go. There is then a concordance in the back of the Bible that you can go to for study notes. Um, there's a, um, it gives you helpful uh, principles of Bible studies, best methods, condensed cyclopedia of Bible texts. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can go through and they have all these sections. And then you can go through the different archaeological studies and maps. The topography uh, cartographers, when they drew up the maps then in the modern. And it's all, the thing that's beautiful about this is that this is all interwoven. Then to now. And reminds me that the word of God. And God is ancient of days from the beginning, always with us, and that we are invited to take part in eternity with our Lord God. And I am about my father's business so that this might be accomplished. That everyone would have an opportunity to be saved. But... Let us digress back to the point in Regula Fidei, rule of faith. And that all the scriptures can be seen that are bound together. You can go again from the Old Testament into the New Testament, from the New Testament to the Old Testament, and you could see the footnotes, and sometimes I put my own in there, that take you from one to the other. And brothers and sisters, I share this with you that the tapestry is so beautifully sewn. The stitches are so perfect. There's no puckering, no overlapping. It's just a beautiful single material. So I'll be perfectly honest with you, and I've shared this with you before. It gets kind of agitating to me that you have these... Uh, theological wizards that supposedly know so much more than everyone else because they went and got some Yahoo to sign a piece of paper saying that they went to school here on this plane of existence and they studied for so many years and they so they got a degree. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything except that they have some book smarts. That's all that means. And my mother and father were Depression era. 
children. My father went through the military, learned a lot of things about my father. Some things I didn't learn until after he passed away. And he didn't have college degrees, but let me tell you something, the man was certainly highly intelligent and he had individuals that were higher echelon of politics in the city, state and regions and they looked for him and invited him because of the knowledge that he had obtained, retained and became a wise man. And I share that about my earthly father, whom I never told him while he was alive, that he was my hero, he was. But the man was so smart and people recognize this thing. And this is, I get a little weepy because the other night things that was shared with me that people recognize in me that God has done in me. And this isn't all about, yay, yay, pat my back. This is about glory to God that he puts that and it shines out in me that people can recognize that. This is glory to God, my father. Thank you for that, father. But let me digress back here to the point. I, I'm I'm sharing this with you because there, there's this thing that God does to us. And he envelops us, first of all. And I, oh, I like that in our class the other night. But this is important because when God envelops us with his love and he shares with us his knowledge and wisdom that he really, really desires to share with us because we are his children and he loves us and he wants to do so. But there was an interesting, and this is a uh, um, this is an analogy that the our one of our speakers was sharing, and I, I thought it was really great. And it was given to her in a dream, and there was an illustration of a person that was on an elliptical shaped object, and it seemed like they were moving. And, and then the vision was changed and she saw that this person was inside of a circle. And this is what she was given by the spirit. The spirit of truth is that we need to be that person inside of a circle and that God envelops us. He is all around us and we are surrounded by him, not standing on this and for us being in control. That's not what it's about because things fall apart and they get really messy when we try to do that. But even more importantly is that Christ in us and God in us is most important 
that that is central in us and that he is around us, surrounds us, which he does all the time and promises to be with us, around us all the time. And the scriptures tell us that. And when we practice the rule of faith, we can see that what I share with you is indeed truth because we can find that from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And when we go back again, we can see that very same thing. So following in the rule of faith, I propose to share this with you that we can find this and see it done. And when the Bible talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, And as I share with you that the scripture tells us things about Jesus' crucifixion. They tell us that he was taken to the place called Golgotha and it is called a place of a skull. And it talks about giving him vinegar and gall when he cried out that he was thirsty. In Matthew, writing in 27, 27, 34, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And as he crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. And this we also find in the Old Testament as well. If we go back to the book of Psalms, David writes about these things. And I share with you that from the birth of Christ until the time that David was writing, we're talking about a time span of approximately 1,000 years before Christ, our Lord, was born, that David was writing about these things. And he talks about these things. And we can... If you read the scripture in Psalms, in the book of Psalm 69, 20, actually, we can start in verse 20. 
And when you read through this, take the time and think about the illustration that's being spoken of, this verbal illustration that's being written. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I look for some to take pity, for there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meal, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. I remember that the Pharisees always were trying to set a trap for Jesus Christ. They'd want to invite him somewhere to sit with them, and then they would debate, they would find fault, and they would try to badger, belittle, and besmirch our Christ, Lord Jesus. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. David was calling for that to be done to those that were trying to set that snare. And many times the Pharisees were doing that with Jesus. Uh, quite often, actually, they were trying to, uh, you remember when uh, he was invited to Simon's, Simon the Pharisee, he was, uh, we're not talking about Simon Peter, we're talking about Simon the Pharisee. And he invited Jesus to the table, but then Jesus chastised him because the man never even offered Jesus a basin to wash his feet. Didn't even anoint him, didn't welcome him at all, but yet offered that to everyone else. And so they tried to belittle Jesus and chastise him because the woman came and anointed his feet. And he basically, ah, no basic to it, he just outright told Simon off. He told him to be quiet. He said, hey, you invited me here to your house to sit at your table to sup and have meat with you, yet you offered me no basin. And she comes and she anoints my feet and wipes them with her own hair as she wipes the tears from her eyes off and anointed me. You offered me nothing. You think that Simon crawled into his skin just a little bit? Oh yeah, I'm thinking so. But then we go again. We're going to go following the rule of faith. We're going to take a look at another scripture in Psalm 27. We're going to go to Psalm 27 and 1. And we can find this also in Romans 8 and 38. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now we take the pages, many pages, and we're going to go over to Romans. Pardon me, taking a moment. I didn't put a marker there, but that's okay. I know where it is. So now we're going to go in 8 and 38. And we find there that Paul writes to the church in Rome. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are we going to be afraid of everything? There should be nothing that we are afraid of. And we are told not to be afraid. Because he is always with us. He is always by us. And he loves us. God is by our side. He promises to be with us. And there is nothing that can separate us from God. Nothing. We are also told that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power and authority. That's what he gave us. All these things that Jesus promises to us shows us God's faithfulness. I'm going to share with you here. I'm going to go to uh, Book of Psalms. And it talks about the Lord and places it, David writes about in the birth of Christ and his coming. And if we go to Psalm 22, And this is actually talks about how the Pharisees always tried to get by and get around Jesus here. But David writes about this in Psalm 22, 11, 11 to 19. I'm going to share with you. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls, a passion, have beset me around. They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. 
I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. If you've read the scriptures in Matthew, Luke, John, when they talk about Jesus' crucifixion, they didn't break any of his bones, but they pulled on him. He was disjointed. And when they pierced his side with a spear, when they pierced his side, the fluid came out. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, say, look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. That is in Psalm 22, 11 to 19. And when we go to the book of Matthew, Matthew writes about them casting lots, parting his garments. And when Jesus cried out, I thirst, they thought that it was funny that they were going to dip that sponge or cloth into the vinegar gall and put it to his lips. They thought that a great joke. But here again, I share with you, David wrote about this crucifixion, about the parting of his garments, and that they were going to cast lots upon his vesture. This was a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And we can find that Luke writes about this. We can go to the book of Luke, 23 in the New Testament. And we can find that he writes about this. And remember, I share with you that Matthew and Luke were detail-oriented individuals. Matthew was a physician, or Luke was a physician. Let me flip over here to Luke, oh, I lost it. I do apologize. I went to the wrong page, sorry. So Luke writes about it in Luke uh, 23 and 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and they parted his raiment and cast lots. What does that mean? It means they were gambling for his robe. David wrote about it nearly a thousand years before Jesus was born. Now we can also go to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah also wrote about Jesus. Now Isaiah was approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And this is what Isaiah has to say. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is in Matthew, nine, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 9 and 6. And we find that Matthew wrote about this in his book. In the New Testament. The book of the New Testament where they wrote about Jesus Christ. And the same things. So you had... I get really caught up in this because, see, for me, and I don't know how it is with anyone else, quite honestly, I don't care. I just know what I am supposed to do and called to do. And it really pulls in my heart because this is our sovereign Lord that left his throne, left the kingdom of heaven, came to this plane of existence to be surrounded by bullies, liars, claiming to be religious elders. Remember, this is a problem that Jesus counseled them about and rebuked them for, and they didn't understand it. And rebuking them because they, everything was about what they would say and their directions had nothing to do with truth or the scripture and Jesus rebuked them before, and I've shared this with you before, is that when they came and they tried to declare him being a liar and a blasphemer, and he said, wait a minute. I come to share the truth with you, but you don't know the truth, and you wouldn't recognize the truth because you speak the language of your father. And your father doesn't speak truth because he's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And he is the devil. Well, they didn't like that. Well, 
truth hurts sometimes. It is painful. It is painful. It can be. It can also be a wonderful thing, but at the same time, truth is truth. There's no getting around that. And the beauty is that it will always be that same thing. Truth is truth. However, lies, you don't know because you tell one lie and then you tell another lie on top of that lie in order to make everything smoother, but then it gets a little rougher. And then you put another layer of lies on top of that. And then by the time you make full circle to the first person that you told the first lie to, you have forgotten all the other lies and you tell a new lie, but then they catch you in it because guess what? They remembered that you told them something different the first time. And now you're caught smack dab in the middle of it. But if you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about that. Now they might be a little sore. They might be a little agitated, might even get a little angry with you. However, what they do know is that you spoke the truth. More oft times than not, I've had people apologize for being upset. I'm sorry, I got mad, but I know you're being truthful and honest. And they appreciate that more. Sadly, when we flip that coin over, we see that there are more oft times than not people that like being lied to and they like everything to be candy coated or honey dipped. But I rebuke those pastors and elders in a church that are supposed to be leading and shepherding but yet they sugarcoat and honey dip the gospel and be apologetic for the word of God. Shame on you. Shame on you. And I say that because what they are is they're lying. When you bend the truth and you change the truth to make it fit so that you do not upset or offend anyone, then you are simply telling a lie. And who are you trying to not offend or who are you trying not to be agitated when the reality of it is that you are trying to make it more comfortable for yourself so that you don't have to be ridiculed, you don't have to be put on the spot, and you don't have to say, hey, what's that supposed to mean? Well, that's supposed to mean that you need to get on your knees and you need to pray to God, or you can just go in your room and lift your hands up and say, Father, forgive me. I wasn't understanding what I was doing, and I'm sorry. That's what that means. And when you talk about size of groups of people, an army is an army. Why are you going to apologize for the language of the Bible? To stand in front of a congregation and apologize for the writing in the Bible, you are trying to tell what this is plain and simple to me, and we can argue to the cows come home, but I'm not going to argue with it because I already know the truth, and I know the answer. If you are going to apologize for the written word of God 
And you can be reading whatever translation you want to, and you still take and apologize for what God has spoken. And then you are being apologetic about God, and you are taking or trying to strip him of his sovereignty. Period. Plain and simple. You don't like what I'm saying? You don't have to listen anymore. That's also truth. And that's also plain and simple. You don't like it? Don't listen. Remember what I say all the time? I don't care. Why don't I care? Because it is validation from God that tells me to share the truth and not to bend the truth to adjust for my liking or to make it simpler, to honey coat it, to honey dip it or sugar coat it and say anything different. The armor of God was given to us not to be militaristic and be invasive. It's for our protection. The Bible tells us it is ours and he made it for us. The breastplate of righteousness to help us stand up with a good posture with our shoulders back and our chest out and standing upright and bold and courageous in righteousness. The helmet of salvation to protect our mindset from the thoughts and the onslaughts of the white noise interference that comes from Satan. The shield of faith that we might suffered the slings and arrows and the fiery darts of the enemy when he casts them on us. And that we carry with us the sword of truth, the Bible, the word of God. Logos, rima, two different meanings from the Greek that mean the same thing, but depending on what it is. You have the collective word of God, logos, the Bible, and then you have the rima, the individual scriptures, the individual specific word of God. Those words are also translated as armory or sword. Not militaristic, just the truth. I get caught up in that thing called truth because I don't like lies. I don't like being lied to. I used to do it all the time. It was a convenient way to get out of things. It was a convenient way to bend things that weren't easy. And that's what it all comes down to. What is easiest? Well, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's easier to tell a lie than the truth for most people. I just prefer truth. It took a while to learn that. Quite a long time, actually. But truth is truth. You can always stand on truth. Again, might get folks to get agitated or irritated, but they'll just be that way for a little while. But if you lie to them, they might not be agitated right away, but then as they find, as that uh, coat of paint peels away from that lie that you told, and they're starting to see that the bumps and all that disfiguring underneath, and they realize that, wait a second. That's all hogwash. Everything that was just shared and told me is a lie. And then they're going to get agitated. And then they're going to get annoyed. Brothers and sisters, the truth is always a good thing. 
we're going to go back to that rule of faith. And we're going to jump over to Psalm 37. I'm going to read 1 through 9 for you right quick. Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Evil workers is what that means. They can hide it behind their lies, but it'll come out eventually. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of whom prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evil doers shall be cut down, shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That, brothers and sisters, is plain and simply the truth. We get so caught up in, well, he has, she has, look at what they have, look what, oh, look at all that, la-di-da-da-da. And it's all temporal, they can't put it in a truck and they can't take it to heaven because it's not allowed. What are you going to do? What, you think you have storage and up there for you? Nope. So then we're going to take, and we're going to go back, following that rule of faith, and we're going to go back to Philippians 4. And I'm actually going to start in verse 4. 4-4. Four, four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. And what that translates to, be careful for nothing, is don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, report it there. Good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens so, brothers and sisters, we follow that rule of faith from front to back and the intertwining of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And again, I, I have no idea why they want to call it following the Gospels. Some theological wizard decided that because, again, and I've shared it with you, the word gospel... That just means good news. That's all it means. It's no special thing that, oh, gospel, that's adherent to the coming of Christ, and that means that everything is separated. Well, no, it doesn't. The word gospel just means good news, and it's a Latin word, and the Romans used it, and it was a 
an oath that they would when they delivered a message, this is gospel from so-and-so, so-and-so, and that meant that what was being said was supposed to be believed. That's all the word gospel means. Good news, truth. For me, the word of God from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's all gospel. The good news, the truth that comes from our Father, Abba Yahweh. And what John tells us of Jesus in John 1, 1, that the word was with God, the word was in God, God was in the word from the beginning. And testament to that constantly we find. When Jesus is pronouncing his authority that he gives to us, Remember that I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He was there when that happened. He was with God when that happened. He was in God when that happened. And then he tells us that we have power and authority to step on the heads of serpents and on the scorpions and to face down the power of the enemy himself and come to no harm. That brothers and sisters, is gospel. That is good news. That is power, that is truth, and we have it. But we get caught up in the lies and deceits and we will follow the lies because they somehow seem easier to believe. And in my other readings this morning, I being told as if God's writing a note. I am God with you for all time and all eternity. Don't let the familiarity of the concept numb the effect on your conscious mind. My perpetual presence with you can be a continual source of joy springing up and flowing out in streams of abundant life. Let your mind reverberate with the meanings of my name, Jesus. But we have a tendency to forget that because we get so caught up on everything that's going on around us. We're reminded Matthew 1, 21 and 23, as we were reminded in Isaiah. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is that good news. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers going out and coming in every day. Be blessed.